Hello, heads for business and bods for sin and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hall. And our guest today is a producer of many excellent films, including, and it's a long list, you guys. These are just some of my personal specific favorites. Uh, Together Together, Honey Boy, Beasts of No Nation, Life Partners, Hello, My Name is Doris, and The Kids Are All Right, a Best Picture nominee. Uh, But she's not just good at that. She also hosts the very entertaining and informative Hollywood Gold podcast. Folks, say hi to Daniela Taplin-Lundberg. Hi, Daniela. Hi, guys. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, so, okay, my first, my my question, my immediate question is this. You are a very successful film producer. You have this long list of distinguished credits. What on earth made you decide to enter a disreputable field like podcasting? Uh, well, I tell this story often, but you guys haven't heard it, so I'll tell you. <laughs> um, I grew up in L.A., and my family was sort of like, you know, all... all all people from my family were sort of involved in the business in some way. So my father had been, um, he'd actually started out as a road manager for Bob Dylan and the band. And then when that, when everyone started like getting on drugs and stopped touring, he decided to go out to LA (laughs) and given the number of this editor and the editor was Martin Scorsese. And so he called up Marty Scorsese and he, um, invited him over. My dad had like rented a, a house in Laurel Canyon and as one Scorsese, does. Yes. And he <laughs> handed him a script that he wanted to direct oh, called wow. season of the witch. Right. And that ended up being mean streets. And my dad was so naive. He didn't know that you weren't really supposed to put your own money into movies. <laughs> and so that was his first producing effort. And, um, and then of course that movie went on to, you know, premiere at Cannes and, um, is just still one of Scorsese's most revered films. And my dad sort of helped launch Scorsese into the world and make it happen. And I remember hearing that story often as a child and thinking, God, what, what a cool job to be mm. able to launch that ship of a great filmmaker is. And so I kind of got the bug very early. And then my mom was an actress and my stepdad was a writer director. And when I was, 12 years old, um, he, he brought us out to Milwaukee, um, while he was shooting major league. And (laughs) and so I got to like be a part of that for a couple of weeks and, you know, see Charlie Sheen walk out onto the mound and, you know, how they like corralled, you know, 25,000 people into the Brewer stadium. And I was just like, who, who's the person who comes up with this, you know? And so I really just fell in love with the process and, um, I didn't think I was fit for directing or writing or acting, but I thought I could sort of lead the charge like my, like my father had. So mm. that's, that's where it all began guys. Gotcha. Okay. So then, so that then movie why... was very important to a young Michael Hull, just so I'm you sure know, major was. league was very <laughs> important to me. <laughs> me too. I mean, I like, I have such a love of sports films. I mean, we could talk yeah. all day about sports films. I actually did a pod on Bull Durham. Nice. Um, on, you know, on Hollywood Gold, because like, you know, not not all ladies love the sports films, but I grew up on them. And so yeah. um, so, you know, I'm 
it, it affected me too, Mike. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I appreciate how your podcast really does place a focus on producers whom I think even people like us who, who, who know and love movies tend to, you know, over, overlook that in their understanding of, of what can make a movie great. I guess I've found that in doing this podcast, I'm learning more about my job. Uh, from yes. talking to great film critics, out there. are you sort of picking up new things about your work and in, in picking the brains of your colleagues? Oh my God. It's such a good question. And absolutely. I think every time I, I interview a great producer and I really do like target the top, the top tier producers yeah. with films, you know, like I learned how Apocalypse Now got made and the oh my God. Kind and like, you can't even believe the stories you guys, yeah. but after every pod, I will take away one or two like really, really rich nuggets from these people who have been doing it forever. Yeah. And I think it's sort of making me better. Um, so it's part of the motivation to keep going yeah. with it. Jason sure. sent me a text and said, if you don't listen to this podcast, listen to the Apocalypse Now episode. Oh just my God. Those, like, so <laughs> I mean, just if you need a place to start, start yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, and I've, you know, I, we've talked actually about Hearts of Darkness, the documentary on the show before. We both love it so oh, much. Oh, I'm obsessed. Oh my God. And yeah. So I knew a lot of the stories Fred was telling you, but even just like hearing him tell it from one producer to another and hearing a producer react to it gave it a whole new, whole new dimension of like the, the, the shit show that that shoot had to have been. (laughs) Totally. It's like, are you, are you just supposed to follow your, your filmmaker into the heart of darkness? Yes. They're like, you know, their psychotic episode and, you know, what's your responsibility? And I just, you know, I so respected him for going down the path yeah. and just like, you know, being the first mate to, to Coppola as he figured that movie out. And I'm so glad because that movie is like truly one of the greats. I mean, mm. the fact that that movie was shot all practically nowadays, like right. everything's VFX, right? But like- right. They were, th- those were real choppers. Those were real explosions. Like everything they shot. Those were really- real dead bodies, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> real dead bodies, maybe. Like it's so insane. I can't imagine it, but yeah. I I have to, you know, hats off to them yeah, for accomplishing definitely. it. You know? Definitely. All right. So Daniela, what year did you pick to talk about on the show and why did you pick that year? Well, it's so funny. I was like, I was very torn because, you know, there's there's a few years that you guys have available and that haven't been explored. And I was debating between 98 and 88, but I decided to go 88, which is 12 year old me. Yeah. And that's the year where like I looked at the sort of list I had like chat GPT spit out like the top 50 movies or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I've seen every single one of those movies. Yeah. You know, when you're at that age and you're well, like, you just see everything. Oh, yeah. To see every single one of these movies, like which of these movies am I going to, I could talk extensively about the entire list. Um, <laughs> but that was like, you know, when you're 12 and you're like really starting to be informed and you're starting to have opinions and, and I just felt like, oh, this was sort of a transformational year for me because it was like, I was going to these movies because I, I discovered that I loved I loved going into a theater. I loved like the lights going down. I loved being immersed into it. And I think it was like, you know, it's that year where you're starting to like discover who you are and what your passions are a little bit, maybe seventh grade. I don't know. I, I think mm-hmm. around there. And and you're and you're starting to do things without your parents. Yeah. And so um 
So I remember going into theaters and watching a lot of those movies and really and really being shaped by them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I will tell you, I am one year, I believe, older than you. And so a okay. lot of these films line up for me in that same way. In fact, yeah. um, I, 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 as I was looking it over, I'm pretty sure that the very first film that I saw by myself in a theater was a 1988 film. Um, one that unsurprisingly did not make your top five, uh, Caddyshack 2. Um, <laughs> I was very excited about Caddyshack 2, and it was a PG-13, so I was able to go by myself. And are you proud of that now? Like, does that hold up for you, the fact that, like, you saw Caddyshack 2? You know, I, I just, I understand that I hold an unreasonable, disproportionate amount of affection for Caddyshack 2 <laughs> for that reason yeah. and that reason only. It. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so, all right. So we want to hear what, what your non Caddyshack two top five is, but before we do, uh, Mike is going to walk us through some of the stuff that was going on in the world around our little 12 and 13 year old selves. Here's Mike with headlines. On January 1st, the Soviet Union began a series of economic reforms known as perestroika. That was a major step on the road to dissolution of the union. That was that was seen as a good thing at the time, right? I remember that being yeah. a big deal. Yeah. It was, yeah. and it was a very big deal, and uh, it did not work out, or it did work out the way they planned, depending on <laughs> which historian you yeah. want to read. Right, in, right. In February was the start of the Al-Anfal campaign, when the Iraqi troops would kill over 100,000 Kurds near the Iran-Iraq border, including a huge gas attack. Bad guy, that Saddam Hussein. I, I don't care for him. I've been doing some Googling lately. Not still, a fan. Still not a fan. Still yeah, not a fan. Yeah. Yep. And that was sort of wrapped up in, you know, supposedly part of the Iran-Iraq war, so on and so forth. But people right. just like to kill Kurds around there for some reason. They did. Especially yeah. Saddam yeah. Hussein. Yes. Mr. President, you said several months ago that you believe both Colonel North and Admiral Poindexter eventually would be found innocent of any crimes in connection with the grand contract. Do you still believe that? Well, at this stage, I don't think I should comment on you're innocent for anything of this kind. I think the law has got to take its course. In March, Oliver North and John Poindexter were both indicted for the incredible fuckery that went into the Iran-Contra affair that Ronald oh, Reagan supposedly God. slept through. Uh, this is another fine example of us like giving guns and money to both sides of a war. Yeah, great, good job, guys. You Killing how it. much we made fun of Ollie North at that time. Were you? Are I you do. guys? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it still wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. hey, that's okay because at least they were held accountable for their actions, and we never heard from them again, right? That's right. <laughs> what were you thinking? Well, that was it. I didn't think I was going to live. Well, there was an explosion, and it started with a hole in the ceiling of the aircraft. Then as we were coming down, I guess with the speed of the plane, and it was tearing apart the fuselage of the plane. It was just ripping it apart. Yeah, in April, Aloha Airlines Flight 243 landed safely after losing its roof. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture. What? Like a solid like third of the roof of the airplane came off. One a flight attendant died and uh, about 60 people were injured. But if you ask me, that seems like a best case scenario. They lost yeah, the yeah. roof of the plane like in well in the air, well in the you air, not like on landing. I don't remember that. 
Yeah. I this is this that. is the I don't remember this either. And this is pure nightmare fuel. So thank you for that, Mike. Yeah, we'll put a picture in the Substack because it is if you Good. look at it, like you can't help but have visceral daymares right there in the middle of your <laughs> of your experience. On June 23rd, NASA scientist James Hansen James Hansen testified before Congress about the impact of human created global warming. So thankfully oh. we got that shit taken yeah. care of straight away. Totally. Just All done. nailed it. Nipped it in the butt. (laughs) In July, the U.S. Navy shot down Iran Air Flight 655, killing 290 people who were on a commercial flight. Just one of several good reasons Iranians have to not like us if we're keeping it a buck. The Navy claimed they thought it was an F-14 that we sold them in the 70s, but it was an Airbus 300. Like It's a huge commercial airline on a regular commercial route filled with civilians. And then Reagan pretty much apologized, and then Bill Clinton paid their family $60 million. But we still haven't admitted we did anything wrong. Of course. Yeah. That was uh, that was in 1988. Lord have mercy. In October, right-wing shitbag dictator Augusto Pinochet lost a national plebiscite on his rule in Chile. One of the only good stories about that fucking guy. I, I've just received a telephone call from Governor Dukakis. And I want you to know, he was most gracious. His call was personal. It was genuinely friendly. And it was in the great tradition of American politics. And And big news uh, in November, George H.W. Bush beat classically awful Democratic presidential nominee Michael Dukakis to cap his rise through the ranks of garbage human beings from oil man to congressman to CIA man to U.S. president. You guys, I just want to say, I campaigned hard for Dukakis. Yes. My dad was like a delegate. Like we we went out. Like there was – I'll never forget we had – Sorry to go off track, but we had a debate and I was the only one to debate on the Democratic side. (laughs) It was a lonely time to be a little Democrat. I was one as well. I remember. But like when he came out in that tank with his little helmet on, it was like we we were we knew we were going to lose. It was like, oh, this is the end of it. That and like the Willie Horton ad, I think, was yep. really like. Oh God, that was oh, the Willie Horton ad year. Oh, you fuck. Were that guy and yeah. just, oh, yeah, real piece and of even shit. At, that guy. And even at twelve, like you were sort of old enough to understand why people were mad about the Willie Horton mm. thing. Like it was like I never uh, saw the ad; I just heard people talking oh, about it. But it was uh, easy enough to explain why it was problematic that oh, my, I could get it. You know, oh. yeah. In December, Benazir Bhutto was sworn in as the first prime minister of Pakistan and the first woman to lead a Muslim-majority country. So say what you want about Muslim-majority countries, but we still haven't pulled that one off. Yeah. Jesus. They're still ahead of us. Yeah. This is kind of a sad update, guys. (laughs) Sometimes the news is a bummer, Daniela. It works out that way sometimes. Highlights coming. I try, I try. On October 27th, E.T. the Extraterrestrial was released on VHS and Laserdisc. That is an unalloyed good story, I would have to say. Daniela, you guys had a copy in the house, I'm assuming. Of course, of course. Yeah. Beautiful. The only yeah. Some beautiful people were born in the midst of all this madness. Uh, The Queen Rihanna and her Prince Philip, ASAP Rocky. Steph Curry, Adele, Earth Goddess Lizzo. Emma Stone, uh, rapper and actor Little Dicky, who's like if Mel Brooks was born like 70 years later and could rap. <laughs> hey, do you know who this guy is? Like, I don't. He's, you the just only, sold me. 
he's the only white rapper to find an original path since Eminem, like an original voice, and original path. And how he did it was by being a good Jewish comedian and also a good rapper. Lil oh, Dicky. Like, that show, Dave? Yes, he does have that show. I'm obsessed with that guy. Yeah. You guys, you have to just watch the first episode. Of that I will. Show. I will. His music oh videos are all on YouTube. They are fucking great, dude. Yeah, yeah. I I endorse Lil Dicky. Anyway, <laughs> YouTube star and my kid's unofficial uncle Blippy, who probably mm-hmm. has a government name, but I will never know it. Russell right. Westbrook, uh, Connor McGregor, Vanessa Hudgens, right. Zoe Kravitz, Anna De Armas, Rupert Grint, who's the guy from Harry Potter that isn't Harry Potter. Yeah, uh, sure, sure. Former sexual Olympian Sasha Gray. All right, that's I think those four are the dream blunt rotation for this week. Zo- Zoe, Anna, Rupert Grant, and Sasha Gray. Let's let's move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chanel West Coast, the girl who got to talk on ridiculousness. Brazilian footballer Marcello, cricket great Virat Kohli, professional virgin Michael Sarah, m- uh, music producer who's surely not a virgin, but professionally still a virgin. Mm-hmm. Music yeah, producer yeah. Skrillex, uh, formerly famous person Haley Joel Osment. FKA uh-huh. Twigs, and finally, the very unfortunately named Stephen R. McQueen, who is best known as Jeremy Gilbert from the TV series The Vampire Diaries, which makes him at best the third most well known Steve McQueen. <laughs> I thought for sure you meant the director, but you nope. mean third, at third best third. McQueen. Yeah. <laughs> In sports, for Florence Griffith Joyner won three gold medals and a silver at the 88 Summer Flo Olympics Joe. in Seoul, oh South Korea. Remember, that was a big Joe. deal. That was a big Flo deal. Joe. She has since passed on. She was great. There, this was also yeah. the year that Canadian Ben Johnson ran circles around his opponents, oh, yeah. but later yes. tested possible uh, positive for yes. stenozolol. I get an extra mm-hmm. dollar for even trying to pronounce that. There he always go. said he was framed, and I, I'm mm-hmm. not above believing him. Also in that Summer Olympics uh, was the one where Roy Jones Jr. won every bout of every fight he was in, but still lost the final bout to South Korean fighter, even though he landed nearly three times as many punches. So that is genuinely looked at as a a little bit too much of a home field advantage. Yeah. Hello again, everybody. Harry Carey at Wrigley Field on this noteworthy night indeed. 8-8-88. That's the date. And this bud's for you. Bill Murray. Thank you, I've been dying under these lights until you handed me this thing. It's such a pleasure to see you, especially on a noteworthy event like this one. Well, I don't know how I feel about night baseball. It's great in the minor leagues, but it's someplace else to go in town besides your restaurant, which is a good thing. <laughs> 88 was the first ever night game at Wrigley Field in Chicago, which I remember there because that happened during the like three weeks I tried to like baseball when I was a kid. All right. <laughs> the KU Jayhawks won the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. Does anybody know what a Jayhawk is? No idea. What, how? It's a real bird, though. <laughs> Bleeding Kansas, Civil War. Missouri was oh, founded boy. as a slave state. And so a bunch of people went and founded Kansas as a free state. And this was where John Brown like learned how to become the John Brown that we oh. all knew. And so the people who were aggressive anti-slavery activists who would like go into Missouri and kill slaveholders and free slaves, they were known as Jayhawks. Now that shit is like a little blue oh. bird on basketball jerseys. But that was like a revolutionary... Like, like the the Jayhawks are who produced John Brown. Like, be proud nice. of the Jayhawks. Yeah, nice. and the Missouri school is still called the Tigers, and that was the name of a bunch of slave assholes back in the day. So oh. y'all might want to oh. think about updating that <laughs> oh, shit. Dear. Anyway, we're oh, almost dear. done here. Mike Tyson <laughs> remained the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world after he knocked Michael Spinks the fuck out. I'm sure you yeah, remember, remember that, that, even if you didn't see that. it on HBO. 
collect. You remember, you guys, did you do this oh, pay per view? Yeah. To someone's house and watch a game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, for, for sure. Yep, yep, yep. With for Tyson, sure. you couldn't. You had to go in because those Tyson fights were all like ninety three seconds long. Like it was, <laughs> it was not a good, not a good bang for your buck. Oh, I had some chips, and then it was over. It was yes. like a party. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And finally, the Iditarod uh, Trail sled dog race was won by Susan Howlett Butcher behind lead uh, dogs Granite and Tolstoy. Jason hates it when I talk about the Iditarod, but he's going <laughs> to like this. Butcher became the second woman to win the Iditarod in 86, and she became only the second four-time winner of any gender in 1990, and she remains the only person ever to win in four out of five consecutive years. So 88 was in the middle of her big run. There is now a Susan Butcher Day in Alaska every year, and I think we should make it nationwide. All right. That's headlines. (laughs) Danielle, are you ready to do a top five? Let's do it. Okay, so what is we just we talked it over and we uh we're, we're this is not a ranked list. Uh, this no, is a, arbitrary lineup. We're it's just an arbitrary lineup, but 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 yeah. there's a but there's a Daniela did give us a specific order, so there is a method somewhere to her madness, and per, perhaps I, we'll like, figure it out. What I'd be most comfortable talking about when. So sounds good. Should All I right. say first or do you say it? You go. You go. We we I will I will cue you. So I will say <laughs> Daniela okay. Taplin Lundberg. What is the first film on your top five for 1988? Well, I'm not sure it's like my number one film, but it is one of my top five like impactful films. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with big guys. Josh Baskin may seem a little immature. Gross. A little strange. I really get a sense of, of who you are. A little adolescent. I like you and I want to spend the night with you. Okay, but I get to be on top. But he's only acting his age. How do you, how do you feel about me? Tom Hanks is big. Rated PG. Starts Friday, June 3rd at theaters everywhere. Starring Tom Hanks. Directed by Penny Marshall. Rest in peace. Oh, again, may she rest in peace. But the reason that this movie impacted me so much is, first of all, the fact that Penny Marshall directed it like had major impact for oh, me yeah. because it was like a hugely um, uh, successful film. And I was like, oh, Abroad directed that. Like, that's great. That's good for us. I knew even then, this is yeah. good. This is good. And And also, it was that moment when Tom Hanks went from like just right. comedian to slightly dramatic. I don't know if you guys remembered the movies he was in beforehand, but they were like Money Pit and like Bachelor mm-hmm. Party. And like, like, he was like on like Bosom Buddies and stuff. Oh, yeah. And I remember when like he got nominated for an Oscar that year. That was like a big transition for Tom Hanks. Like the person who we consider one of the greatest actors of all time. I remember very specifically being like, he's really good. He's not just funny. Right. And like sometimes funny and drama, like they're, they're two sides of the same coin. And so I remember really studying his performance. Um, and then it was that movie that everyone wanted to see. Like it yeah. was the one that like I we'd go in droves and we'd see it over and over and over again. And there was sort of something for everyone it was like, my parents loved it. We loved it. My little sister loved it. There was like a lot of humor and joy in it. And when we're working on scripts, it's like the fun and games, like him going to F.A.O. Schwartz and like yeah. running across the piano. and That like, was so and, like, famous. That right? was so famous. So, and there were so many like different versions and takeoffs on that and other people doing riffs on that, that moment, especially totally. if you didn't care about anything else in the movie, you had to see the movie with the big piano thing in it. Oh, 
Oh no, and for that decades, was only it. For decades Wait, afterwards, FAO Schwartz left that piano, that big piano <laughs> was really? part of the store because everybody who went there wanted to do the scene from Big. And I, in fact, remember going to the store and like it was like a worn out piano and it couldn't actually do what they did. Of course. Like they could only play one one key at a time. It couldn't play like multiple keys. But I just remember like being like, we got to go to F.A. Shorts. It wasn't such an original concept. It was just so beautifully executed. The script right. was so strong. The characters were like all fully realized. You've got great era actors and like Elizabeth Perkins and like you know, every, like there was so many great sort of New York character actors in that. And I just remember being like, all right, it's about the craft, you know, like you can take something, you know, there's only like five, you know, arcs in the entire movie business, like, but all about like doing it well. And, and I, and I remember that time being like, okay, interesting. Like this movie's nominated for Academy Awards. That's crazy. You know, um, because it was a real crowd pleaser. And I think for me, that was like the Venn diagram that started to develop. Like you, you can make something that's commercial. That's also impactful. And that's sort of what I've tried to emulate a little bit in, um, yeah. in, in the movies I make. Yeah. X. No, it's, that's it's, it, it, it yeah. holds up. I, I watch it every couple of years. There's, there's not a speck of dust on the thing. All yeah. right. Speaking Mercedes of. Mercedes as the mother. Oh my God. Remember- oh my- <laughs> when he's singing uh, to her over the phone. <laughs> Oh my God. It's just the best. She's so good. Yeah. Perfect. All right, then. Uh, What then is the next film on your five favorites for 1980? Oh, what do we choose, guys? Uh, I think think it's Working Girl. Do me a favor, Beanie. Pass. Be my secretary. He wants to give her a chance. Hold all balls, Miss McGill. Maybe I just don't like you. Her double-crossing boss. I consider us a team, Ted. Doesn't. This woman is my secretary. But this working girl is going to make it on her own. You were amazing. Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, and Melanie Griffin. What's going on in there? She's dusting. Working Girl, rated R. Starts Wednesday, December 21st at a theater near you. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one impacted me so much. And I think I really gravitate towards underdog stories. And this was a Mike Nichols underdog story. Mm -hmm. And I think Mike Nichols is like, you know, obviously the graduate and, you know, who's afraid of a Virginia Woolf and heartburn and every movie he's made. I've sort of like, you know, I've, I I want to make, um, (laughs) I think one of those directors that like, it was a time, um, where if Mike Nichols wanted to make it, any actor would, would be in it. Yeah. And in a funny way, like that was a just a classic sort of romantic comedy with like great themes and a great script. But like he got like Harrison Ford to play the second fiddle and Sigourney Weaver to play like, you know, like a supporting role. And it was just yeah. like that was the power of like great filmmakers. And, and and also just like, you know, that was a time when like movies were just about character and they didn't they didn't have to have like hundreds of millions of dollars of VFX to like bring people into the theaters. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I just so, so appreciate that. And I, you know, honestly, like one of the things I'm trying to do now is just bring those movies back, like just yeah. bring movies back that you care about that are so funny. Like Joan Cusack in that oh movie my God. is like, got like three, three scenes and then she steals yeah. every single one, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I just loved it so much. It was also a movie that like, I realized like 
Um, music can be like change the feeling of a scene and can totally. change the feeling of, of an entire movie. And Carly Simon did like a couple songs in that film and, you know, let the river run. And I yeah. just like, I still hear that in my head when I'm like trying to like uplift myself. Um, <laughs> And so that, that movie really just like really imprinted on me. And I honestly, like whenever I'm like, you know, developing a script with sort of themes like that, I'm always like, go watch Working Girl. Like yeah. it's, it's not overly complicated, you know, it's yeah. like great dialogue, great character. Um, give the people what they want. <laughs> yes, This exactly. is one movie no. that when I was a kid, this one and Nine to Five were two movies that my mother sort of enjoyed on a level that I didn't really understand. Like, I was like, yes. oh, the good movies, yes. you know what I mean? Like, yes. at, as a yes. 12-year-old boy. Yeah. yeah. These first three on your list are all actually ones that that I rewatched and wrote about for my book about New York movies. All These, these three are all great New York films. And the so thing has something to do with it yeah keep yeah going. the thing that i love so much about working girl is that and i mean it's not subtle about it they're, and they're not trying to be there are very few films i feel that really go to such trouble to capture the class divide in new york yeah. you know the way the yeah. way that it understands yeah. the dynamics of the people who come in on the ferry from staten island yeah. and yes. the way that they look and sound and the way that she has to modify yeah. her look yeah. and sound to fit into yeah the Manhattan business world, like all of that strikes so true in terms of what was happening in that decade in particular and, and how wall street sort of took over New York in that. Yes. I love, I love that comment. All right. So I sort of gave it away by, by, by tipping that the the third film is, is another New York movie, but uh, Daniela, what is the third film on your list for 1988? Coming to America. Eddie Murphy is Prince of Zamunda. Do you think just once I might use the bathroom by myself? He has everything. Wipe up! Except what his heart desires most. I intend to find my bride. But where can one find a woman suitable for a king? Queens. A couple rich fellows like you should be in Manhattan. We're ordinary African students. That'll be $300. Coming to America. Rated R. Starts Wednesday, June 29th at a theater near you. I have to tell you that like Eddie Murphy was one of my all time favorite performers at, at, in the, in the eighties. Like any, if you are not, if you are not our age or older, it's like sort of impossible to put across what a fucking megastar Eddie Murphy was in the 1980s. Like untouchable. Because right. He's like evolved into something different, right? Like Mm -hmm. he's Dr. Little now he's doing like the clumps, but like at the, in the eighties, he was like, truly on the cutting edge of comedy. And I'm not, you know, there's trading places, obviously, and Beverly, Beverly Hills Cop, but like anything he did, he touched, I would, I would like run out to see. And that includes like movies like Boomerang, which like is also like a great, great, you know, favorite of mine. And he also had this ability to like draw tremendous talent around him. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just Eddie, it was Arsenio Hall. And it was like Mm -hmm. all these great actors, James Earl Jones, like, you know, um, there were so, so many great actors in, in that movie. I haven't watched it lately, but I do remember it having like such an impact on me and, um, and just, uh, just so revering Eddie Murphy and, and the sort of group of comedians that he would bring around him. Um, and, and then the other thing they would do is they would play multiple roles. So like, this was the first movie where he did that. 
Right. So like, you know, the barbershop was like yes. Eddie and, you know, playing multiple roles. And I, and they were just, they were so genius. It was, this was like not even really a part of the movie. It was just like a, a side gig. And, and I just remember being like, these guys mm-hmm. um, are at the height of their game. Yeah. I and watch this movie at least once a year. It absolutely holds you? up. I love this. I mean, this one, this one left a real impression on me as a kid too. Like you said, he was at the cutting edge of comedy at that point, like really in a way that is impossible to explain now because he was doing it on stage, but he was also doing it on screen. Um, Yes. You know, and, and that was something that very few people had. And I don't know if anybody, I mean, maybe Robin Williams got to the point, but I don't think even in 88, Robin Williams yeah. had sort of been as successful as at those two things yeah. at the same time. And don't forget this fucking guy put out a whole record produced by, uh, what's his name? Rick James. Right. I mean, yes. like it's, no, he was like a singer. He like, he, did yeah. <laughs> he yeah. was, he was just an incredible, yeah. um, actor. He, yeah. he was a force. And I think it's hard to sustain that. And it's also hard. You know, I talked to like, you know, the girls who work with me now. And it's like, do you remember, like, you know, this was before they were born. Like Eddie Murphy to them is like the star of, you know, Dr. Doolittle. Or, he's he's or donkey from Shrek. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, you don't understand. This guy was like defining Hollywood at a, at a certain yeah. time in my history. Yeah. And so anyways, I really, yeah. that was, I mean, America was my number three. Yeah. You know, the only other thing I want to add, you know, I also wrote about this one a few years ago um, on one of its anniversaries. And the thing that that was really interesting about it at the time when it came out is that, first of all, uh, this was his first romantic lead. He had never he had always just sort of played like, you know, the comic cut up, but he had never been paired in a romantic relationship on film. Is that right? That's crazy sort of related to that because you know sort of what was expected of him and what 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 audiences and white executives wanted from him at the time this was also a big step for him in terms of making movies that were filled with and for and about black people that yes. so many of yeah. those initial films were all were were all about him being the one black guy in the room you know, yes. and about him him facing off with yeah. a white co-star or being sort of, you know, the the sticking out like a sore thumb in Beverly Hills or wherever he might be. Yeah. Um, yes. And because of that, uh, when Spike Lee broke out in 86, which she's got to have it and was very it was make you know, giving interviews and with provocative views about how Hollywood treated black people. He was calling out Eddie Murphy for not right. Giving work to other black to black filmmakers to black actors by making all these movies where he was like the only black person in them, and it it was really uh, risky. And Eddie Murphy, of course, you know, pushed back on that, but he but it was hard not to see this film. But then he made Coming to America and Harlem Nights and (laughs) Boomerang and like a lot of very black movies right after that. Yes. And you're saying it was subsequent to this, this sort of tongue lashing from Spike? Yeah. It was like immediately oh, after. And it is very oh. hard to look at the list. I mean, I yeah. I get all this from the article I read that my friend Jason wrote. We should put it in, <laughs> yeah. the, in the show notes. But yeah. like, it's very hard yeah. to look at the list and not think of that as a hinge. Not yeah. think yeah. of the Spike Lee comments as a hinge. Oh, that is so fascinating. Which he very yeah. well may have heard before. You know, yeah. and but yeah. just nobody was willing to sort of go out in public and say it that way. Yeah. 
But yeah. Spike well, Lee was kind of like getting a career like 50 Cent did, where he's just sort of like, I'll shit <laughs> on anybody shit. I have to Talking get shit. in premiere. Um, all right. So what is the number four movie on the ni- on the big 1988 list? A little bit like uh, left of center, but like I'll tell you why. Um, so I chose Mystic Pizza. What's a Mystic Pizza? Mystic Pizza is the new romantic comedy hit audiences everywhere are falling in love with. I loved it. It was just pure enjoyment. The movie was fantastic. It just brought out every emotion. If he really loved me, he'd wait. We cried. All three of us cried. cried. Wait, you see these guys. Oh, he's cute. Yeah. For anybody in love. That's right. Experience Mystic Pizza. Now playing at a specially selected theater near you. Which, um, you know, honestly was one of the first independent films that I went out to theaters to see. And it was like one of these movies that was like in one, one or two theaters in LA. And it was obviously Julia Roberts' breakout role. And for whatever reason, it just like, it, it hit me and I, and I loved it so much. And again, it was about the underdog. It was like this yeah. family of who were, who were trying to build themselves up in different ways and like break out of this tiny town. I thought it was so well made. Um, and you could tell it was made for about five cents, but mm. the performances were so good. It was like Lily Taylor and Annabeth Gish and Julia Roberts and, and Vincent D'Onofrio. And Vince I mean, D'Onofrio. Yeah. Really, really strong actors at like you know, when they were just babies. And I just remember being like, oh, like there isn't one way to do this. It doesn't, just because you're not being released by Warner Brothers doesn't mean that you can't make impact and you can't like tell a story that's going to like change hearts and minds. And I, you know, I had sort of heard those stories growing up a little bit, but it was the first time that like, that um, a film had reached me through traditional, you know, avenues and that was not of the studio system. Yeah. Um, so that was why that movie sort of like got on the list. For yeah. Me. No, Samuel yeah. Goldwyn uh, picked this one up and distributed it and, but, and went wide. I mean, it made it to Wichita, Kansas. I, where Mike and I are both from. I remember people seeing it getting yeah. discussed. Yeah. I hadn't seen this one. Do you guys know, do you guys have any clue the, how much it? it made it was i i yeah. don't have the numbers in front of me but it was a commercial success like for especially okay, for an okay. indie you know so that's yeah. sort of like on on the way to the sex lies breakthrough the following year like uh, yes, did, did totally. very very respectable yeah. business yeah. i rewatched it for the first time for, for the show i rewatched it for the first time i think since like vhs when it first came out yeah and it is a different experience to watch it knowing that Julia Roberts is about to become like one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Yes. Yes. But you can totally see how she was about to become one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Like it's, she's just yeah. so, so dynamic and so charismatic. Wow. And even when she's not doing anything, you're just watching her listen you're, to people. You're drawn to her. You like, she really, I remember coming out of that movie and just being like, this I will watch whatever this woman does. Yeah. And I think that her next movies were like literally like Pretty Woman and like it that was, scary. It was Steel Magnolias was the year oh after God. this. Yeah. First yes. Oscar nomination and then Pretty Woman yeah. right after that. So Yeah. And then Sleeping with the Enemy. She yeah. made like a couple of our vehicles that were just hinged on her and people yeah. still went to see them. And I was just like, oh, this I like my 
you know, when you get a feeling about someone and that, and I was like, oh, this is real. I, I that happened for me with Julia Roberts in this, and then Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise. Yeah, I was like, we were going home and just like telling my dad, like, who, like there there's this guy and he's going to be the biggest star in Hollywood. And he's like, really? And he still tells me that story today. He's like, you called Brad Pitt. I was like, well, I wasn't really <laughs> pretty, pretty open secret. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was that. Uh, and little known fact is um, Matt Damon has like a one line yep. role in mystic pizza because he was just everything. I mean, he started acting when he was like 11 years old. Yeah. Um, but Mystic I, Pizza I, made yeah. almost just short of $13 million domestic box office on a $6 million budget. So nice. pretty good for that $6 million for an indie. <clears throat> I mean, that's what they said it cost. Who knows? That's what I found <laughs> on the internet <laughs> later. You know, who, okay, okay. who knows what's well, baked into that? But the other thing is that, you know, that we can't see here is what the, you know, the VHS market was. After yeah. Pretty right. Woman, Steel Magnolias, sure. Sleeping right. with the Enemy, you know, because, yeah. I mean, that's not listed here, but I bet it was equal or better, yeah, don't you yeah, think? Yeah. I mean, 88, like, yeah. that's all through the totally, 90s, the VHS totally right. and, and DVD market is, yeah. So, yeah, it did good. God rest the DVD market. I wish we still had it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, and now it's time for the 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 culmination of the top five. This one, uh, if if my research is correct... Uh, you have a very personal connection to the to oh the fifth God. movie. You're such a good researcher. I was. I thought I was going to scoop you guys on this one. <laughs> so, um, my so the last movie, which is probably lesser known, but but so so good. You guys should absolutely see oh, it. If you have yes. It. Um, stand and deliver. Can we talk about sex. We discuss sex. I have to get sexual homework. Edward James Olmos. Stay awake as you're waking up. Wake up this morning, how are you? Blue Diamond Phillips. At a tough school, somebody had to take a stand. And someone did. Together, one teacher and one class proved to America they could stand and deliver. A true story. Rated PG. Starts Friday, March 18th at a theater near... Starring Ed James Olmo and my mother. My mother yeah. stars in this movie as Eddie's wife. And it... Wonderful and, performance. Know, Yes. It's such a good performance, and I'll have you guys know that she was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award against Julia Roberts, and she won the Spirit Award. <laughs> Holy <Yeah>. shit! <laughs> yeah. Very and nice. It was like the first year the Independent Spirit Awards like existed, it was like nice. in some house or something. Of course, but um, still has that Spirit Award, and um, but it was the story of Jaime Escalante. You know, this guy who who um quit his job to teach um, Hispanic kids in East LA, um, calculus. And my mother had just come off of, um, making La Bamba the year yeah. before Eve. Yep. And I didn't like at that time I wasn't even, she would just go off to work. And like, I didn't even realize she had made this movie because it only took her like a couple days to make it, you know, like she's sure. in like scenes and she wore her own wardrobe and it was like such a, t it was such a small film. But I remember, Feeling like, first of all, the movie's so good. Eddie is so good. You haven't yeah. seen that performance from Eddie almost. Like, he's such a good actor, but sometimes he plays very, very earnest, serious roles. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if you remember, but he was in Miami Vice Forever and Ever, and he was like so, Theo, he was like so serious. And this was like a truly joyful performance. It's so playful. And 
so playful. And that's who he is as a person. He's my sister's godfather, actually. And he, he was that like funny, like upbeat character. And he was always being cast as like the earnest, you know, earnest character and whatever. And so I just remember feeling like, oh, this movie, it kind of slipped under the radar, but it, I showed it to my kids during the pandemic and they loved it so much. Blue Diamond Phillips is so good in it. It, yeah. it just kind of like felt like a spiritual sibling to La Bamba. And so I didn't notice it as much at the time, but in retrospect, it's like, I think it's so impactful. And also, you know, I'm Mexican, like, you know, it, for there was, it's very rare that there was content for, you know, um, for, you know, Hispanics. And so I was just so like, pleased that that movie did as well as it did. And, and Eddie got an Academy Award nomination for it. And it really, it really was like impactful in its own way. Although I don't know how much money it made. I don't, I doubt it was very successful at the box. I grew up in a Mexican neighborhood, like all Mexican neighborhood. And this movie was very important. And it was one of those movies where like everybody's parents wanted us to watch it. And everybody was like, I don't really want to watch this movie about a math class. Yes, like I yes. already have to go to a math class totally. and then, you know, if you 15 minutes into the movie, you know what I mean? Like, and then we would end up watching the movie because it's a very good movie. And so now yeah. you've got all these 12 and 13 year old kids watching this movie and like, you know, cracking, like laughing when Lou Diamond Phillips says, oh, that Holmes. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, we know, all know yeah. that guy. You well, know what I mean? We all know the Orale Holmes guy, you know, no, so no, really. <laughs> this movie was very important in that. And, yeah. you know, I don't know that it, it sort of existed outside of that for, yeah. you know, my sort of friends outside of that universe. But in that universe, yeah. it was no, very, I, very famous. I mean, I will also say that, like, this was this was the the era of the, you know, the 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 monitor that rolls into the classroom on you know the off day or the substitute teacher day with the VHS yeah. deck and yeah. the stand and deliver was in heavy rotation on yeah, the yeah, yeah. in it classrooms just, yeah. because it was you yeah. know it was it was it was an inspirational educational story and it was PG thirteen totally. and everybody liked yeah. it yeah it checked all the boxes and I will also say it's another story of underdogs right like yeah these kids no one believed in them. The uh, education board like thought they had cheated because they all did well on the AP test. And, you know, again, like good, good wins out over, you know, yeah. whatever the force that that exists. And, you know, it's a theme. It's a yeah. theme of my movie. Guys. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I must have watched. I watched this movie dozens of times as a teen tween, whatever. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I, I rewatched it for the show this week. God, Daniela, the the I I forgot until it got to, you know sometimes when you haven't seen a movie in a really long time but a movie that you love yeah. and then it gets to a point yeah. where you're like oh shit that part's coming and you start to like preemptively well up yes I know you're right when it gets to the very end and he is walking out down the classroom and the stats come up on the bottom of the screen mm-hmm. and then they keep changing I'm, like getting goosebumps Woo! yes that's <laughs> good. <laughs> That's good yeah. dramatic filmmaking right like, there. Oh, and then that so was just good. the little, the little fist. Yeah. Bump. Oh, so <laughs> fucking good. All right. So good. Daniela, totally thank you so much for that excellent top five. Yes. Fun, guys. Yes. Really good. Yeah. All right. And now, briefly, a word from our sponsor. Cool. This episode is brought to you by Mubi. Oh, and what, pray tell, is Mubi, Mike? 
Well, it's a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. Oh, movie, of course. You know, I hear that from iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. That is true. And, you know, with movie, each and every film is hand-selected, so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, anywhere. Badass. So, for example, if you want to watch something from 1988 that's currently streaming in the U.S., I would recommend Bellatar's Damnation. Oh, yeah. It is, a, a, as with other Bellatar movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's not a light comedy. Nope, nope. You know, we're, we're dealing in the in the, the heavier sides yes. of the human psyche in this movie. Yes. Uh, but it is beautiful. It exists out of time. You know, I, I don't know. You don't know where it's at. We don't know when it's at. We don't know any, in, who any of these people are. It's a deep exercise in experiencing art. Yeah. Which I think is a, is a pretty high compliment. Indeed it is. How All about right. you? I'm going to cheat just barely and pick one from 1989, which is Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yes. Shinya Tsukamoto's deeply disturbing slab of uh, extreme industrial body horror. Um, <laughs> a, a wildly influential movie. Like, if... if if fucking Darren Aronofsky didn't watch this movie every single day of pre-production for Pi, I will eat my hat. It is grotesque. Uh, it is beautiful. It is grotesquely beautiful. It is beautifully grotesque. Um, and if you uh, hesitate for the foreign cinema, let me assure you of two things. Number one, there's very little dialogue in this movie, so and thus very few subtitles, so you don't have to do much reading. And also, a lean, mean, tight-as-a-drum 67 minutes. That's Tetsuo the Iron Man, currently streaming in the U.S. on movie. You can try movie for free for 30 days at movie.com slash a very good year. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash a very good year for a whole month of great cinema for free. For free! All right, let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me, oh yeah. Sell out with me tonight. The record company's only Let's start with the Oscars as we always do. Best Picture, Best Director to Barry Levinson, Best Actor to Dustin Hoffman, Best Original Screenplay. <sighs> so many awards, I gotta take a breath. To Ronald Bass and Barry Morrow for Rain Man. Danielle, where do you land on Rain Man? I like the movie. I like yeah. the movie. It just, I, I it's like, like it it, you know, it's like, I wouldn't say it's like the movie that changed my heart or my mind at the, in, mm-hmm. in that um, time of my life. But I really, I respected the movie. I, I respected um, how impactful it was. The story felt original. I mean, I, I would say like, that's my, that's my thing about movies in the eighties that they're all original screenplays, right? There's like mm-hmm. very, very few sequels. Yeah. They're all based on like original ideas, like not even really based on IP. They're just yeah. like, yeah. you know, they're just scripts that, like, that came from writers' minds, you know? Um, and I really appreciated that about this time of movie making. My wife had never seen Rain Man, so we watched it uh, for this episode. And it's and it's good. And she was like, you know, it's impressive how sort of sensitive they are to autistic people anyway. You know, it's sort of like not a surprise that Dustin Hoffman is great. But it was interesting yeah. knowing where Tom Cruise ended up landing on psychiatry, 
watching it this time where there's the whole scene where he's like, you've had him for 20 years. I've had him for six days and look how much better I've done in six yeah. days than you managed in 20 wow. years. And there's, a, there's a lot of sort of undercurrent of that. Like, wow. you know, all you really need for your yeah. mental illness is just to go on the road and eat some diner hash browns or whatever, you know? <laughs> so good movie. Good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Different to watch it now than it was then. Yeah. Best actress went to Jodie Foster for The Accused. Oh, great God. movie, great performance. Don't ever need to see it again, but great movie, sure. great performance. I mean, you know, like that when you're growing up and there's certain scenes, I would say like there's a couple, there's a scene in Silence of the Lambs that does it. That scene in The Accused, you know yeah. what scene I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. um, I would say I had never been confronted with that kind of imagery up until that time. And um, man, that stuck with me. Yeah. And made me incredibly fearful about what what humanity was capable of. Mm -hmm. um, and man, Jodie Foster was yeah. so brave. What yeah. what a performance! Yeah, yeah, she was. She's an incredible, incredible actress. Best supporting actor. And I'm going to venture out on the on a on a limb and say this is the only time that uh, particular that particular award has ever been given for armpit sniffing. Kevin Klein in A Fish Called Wanda. Great movie. Come oh. on, that's that's why he won. That's the best scene in the movie. Come on. No, come on. Oh, genius. Genius performance. It's one of my all-time favorite Oscar wins because, like, that's not a movie that wins Oscars, but, like, there was a nice stretch in especially the 80s and 90s when, like, they would deign to give an Oscar to a supporting performance. It would never be, you know, the lead always had to go to, like, the very totally. serious work. But you totally. could give uh, an Oscar to a really great supporting performance like this totally. or, like, Mar Marissa and, you know, my cousin okay. Vinny. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so. I, I would always be so thrilled when they yeah. when they would give it because it felt like it was one for us, you know, yeah. it was like, that, that was like a performance that like people fucking love, you know, yes. like Kevin Klein, don't call me stupid. Like, yes. he was, like <laughs> it was so good. You could watch it over and over again. You could just yeah. watch his scenes. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm in total yeah. agreement. And it's, it's maybe my favorite movie. performance ever. Like, maybe so. And I'm quite possibly. He's like, he's a, he's a great, great actor. But to me, yeah. that was just like comic genius. Has yeah. he sniffed yeah. armpits in any other movie? Well, then <laughs> no, I think I it's, I not think that that's I know it of. then. Yeah. Best supporting actress to Gina Davis for The Accidental Tourist. Good movie, yes. good performance. Yep. Yeah. You know, this may have been one that I like watched once and like didn't, like I was 12. Same. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, like this, yeah. probably, I could probably have to see it again to like really appreciate it. But I remember William Hurt, Gina Davis, who was the third player in Kathleen that movie? Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, I do remember being like, this Gina Davis, she's got, she's yeah. got a lot to give. Yeah. And she's Thelma got that Louise certain something. Yeah. <laughs> Thelma and Louise is one of my all time, all time yeah. great favorite movies and her performance in that is one of my all-time favorite performances so yeah. she's she was really at the height of her powers too best adapted screenplay to christopher hampton for dangerous liaisons fucking great Ooh, i oh, like dangerous sure. liaisons oh that movie's yeah. good love yeah i love that movie the fact that john malkovich i mean i'm just gonna be honest like i do not consider john malkovich a sexy human like he is one of the <laughs> actors but the act the fact that he could be like playing all these women one of them mm -hmm. being michelle pfeiffer like it was all always a little bit of a leap of faith but i love i love i love that movie yeah that michelle pfeiffer so great i mean glenn close height of her amazing. powers yeah yeah incredible you, you don't know this from the movies but john malkovich smells amazing that's how he 
that's what it is. That's what it is. But also, like the supporting cast of that movie. Oh yeah, Reeves and Uma Thurman and um, who's the mother who plays the mother of Uma Thurman? But anyways, they were all just so so great. Who's the director of that again? Is it John? That was that was a uh, that was Frears. I want to say. I, I, I believe that was yeah. a Stephen Frears. I will, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I will double check totally. that while Mike continues. Uh, the Golden Globe for Best Picture Musical or Comedy and Best Supporting Actress went to Sigourney Weaver for Working Girl. Yay. Well earned. Golden yeah. Globe for Best Director went to Clint Eastwood for Bird. It was a great little film. Not an I obvious like movie Bird. for him to direct. No. But a good it's movie. Good. It's good. Yeah. He, 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 he makes what? it really well. It. To admit I did not see it's like one of the few movies I mean I didn't see. that's not one that at 12 that you would run right out to see but um sure. it's a surprise like it's it's really well well directed he loves jazz and you can tell and and directs yeah. a really terrific Forrest Whitaker performance like oh, really Forrest Whitaker. Good. Right, right, right okay yeah, yeah. it's okay. just easy to forget he directed that movie oh totally like not because it's good or you know what I mean it's yeah. just easy to yeah. forget because you totally. just don't I sort of think of that as his but it's totally. true. Yeah. But his love for, for the music comes through. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. Golden Globe for Best Actor Musical or Comedy went to Tom Hanks for Big. Yay. Well earned. Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor went to Martin Landau for Tucker, The Man and His Dream. Sure. Uh, sure. One, of the, one of the producers there, friend of your show, Fred Ruse. Fred Ruse. I mean, listen, that guy is more prolific than yeah. all of us put together. I didn't <laughs> see Tucker until maybe like two or three years ago when it came out on Blu-ray. And it is slept on. That is a gorgeous, totally uh, agree. Uh, compelling fucking Jeff Bridges yeah. is great in it. It's a really yeah. good movie that not a, not enough people like, have seen. It looks so, so beautiful. Like if you I, I caught it a little bit on cable, like last year and i was just like this is a lovely film yeah it's a yeah. like delicious looking movie yeah. um and jeff Bridges is always good yeah there was a three-way tie for the golden globe for best actress in a drama between jodie foster for the accused shirley mcclain for madame suzatska and sigourney <laughs> weaver for gorillas in the mist i don't know that i've ever heard of a three-way tie for like a major they award like that won. they yeah. all three won a globe because yeah. they all got votes I guess so. Somehow, that's that, those sure. wacky Golden Globes. I'll tell you what. Golden Globes have always been wacky. That is they so should. crazy. They sure, sure Gorillas in the Mist. That was the same year as Gorillas in the Mist. Yeah, Sigourney yeah. got two Oscar nominations right. that year. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. All right. What did the box office uh, top ten look like, Mike? But she's best in Alien. Okay. Uh, <laughs> box office. Did any of these movies make money? Number ten. Die Hard. Christmas movie, yeah. classic. <laughs> the original Die Hard. Yeah, the original Die, Die Hard, Hard was number ten for the year. Yeah, <laughs> John McClane. I mean, it's a it's a classic. Guys. It is classic. It holds up. It does. Bruce Willis at your height. I mean, it really. It's it's a it's a fan favorite. Number nine was big, well deserved. Number eight. Wait, was, wait, hold up. Hold up. Big made more money than Die Hard. He yeah. sure did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. I heard was number ten. I can't even believe that. Okay, yeah. keep going. Yeah. That's, yeah. I did not expect that. This, the, I will say, this top ten does sort of puncture the. Uh, no, I guess there's only a couple. There are. We will hear about some sequels on the on the top ten this year. Okay, sure, sure, yeah. Okay, so ten was Die Hard. Nine was Big. Number yeah. eight was Cocktail. Because that was it was a Tom Cruise kind of year. 
Well, Tom's, le- then- Tom's less thoughtful movie of 88. How is it possible that those two movies came out in the same year? Yeah. Please. Hey, look, we talked about this with Judy Becker recently. Last Tango in Paris and The Godfather both came out in the same year. Fucking explain sure. that. Yeah. Fair. Fair. <laughs> Sometimes Fair. these things happen, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, they made number eight without counting the money that that Aruba Jamaica song made. And I can't imagine. <laughs> I mean, You're that shit was on... KKRD every third song when we were yeah, in 1988, as I recall. You guys remember that John Stamos was like the guest drummer he was, on that? He was. He's in the video. He's in the video. It's inexplicable. Yeah. It's like, what is John Stamos doing there? This is the most yeah. 80s thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That was a piece of trivia that passed me by. Thank you for for pulling that out. Uh, number seven was a fish called Wanda. Well deserved. Fish called yeah. Wanda made money. Number six, Rambo three, which God. I rewatched for this episode. Why? Because I remembered liking it. It's the one where he's got the bow and arrow with the little grenades on the end. And it's I was so like, bad. I'm pretty sure he blows up a tank with a bow and arrow. No, it's <laughs> it's not only is it not too bad, but what's interesting about it is that this is the one where in order to kill Soviets, the only place yes. the Soviets were fighting at that point was Afghanistan. So yes. he basically goes and joins the Mujahideen. And sure this does. whole... This whole movie is full of all of these things about how, like, gallant, and that's literally a word that they use, and, like, how amazing the Afghan people are, and how, like, how fucking ridiculous and stupid it is to try to take your army into their country and take their shit over. It's amazing, dude. Rambo 3's, it's it's maybe better now than it was then, given (laughs) the history that has passed in the meantime. And little tiny grenades on Bo and arrows that shit is still go. hot the pyrotechnics in that movie are live rambo three who who is the director of that movie can you can you oh see god um uh, uh, someone who who only he was the second that. unit director he was the yes. the pyrotechnics director on rambo two first yeah. or rambo first blood part two so he had proved yeah. his medal on the most important yeah. parts for making yeah, a Rambo Pete, movie. Peter McDonald. But on the Rambo movie, Stallone was sort of notorious for just like getting some guy to direct and kind of directing it himself. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this. Idea. Yeah, that's the only way you get all those like close-ups of his face where he looks. It yeah. literally, there's several points where you think maybe a single tear is going to fall. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> well, anyway. I have to tell you, I never watched the Rambo movies. I just, they did not appeal to me. You're good. You're fine. You're fine. Stallone never really appealed to me. I, I got, yeah, Except for Rock. Obvious. Of course, Rocky. of course. Yeah, yeah. I like them in the same way. Twelve-year-old boy, you know. I mean, because I was yeah. a kid and I had the toys and shit. I mean, that's watched, you know. You watched over the top a couple times. I sure did. I, come on, better believe as, it. As Daniela, the world meets nobody halfway. <laughs> if you want something, if you want it, you got to take it. All right. Oh my god! Number five, twins. Now, oh. I, IP may not have dominated, but this was the, the, the filmed deal was quite prevalent in the 1980s. And this was so like a movie that was just built around the idea of like a poster where it's Danny DeVito and it says Schwarzenegger. And then there's oh. another poster where it's Schwarzenegger and it says DeVito. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. But you know what? I went right out and watched it. I'm sure well, many yeah. people did. Many people did. I would... right out. They got my the ticket money for like, sure. The fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger was one of our like most beloved biggest stars. <laughs> I'm not 
it's just so stunning to me still. It's nuts. Oh my god, twins. Number four, Crocodile Dundee 2, where an accent was so successful it got a sequel. Yeah. I I I, I rewatched and I watched the second one. Yeah, me In- too. Me too. I watched the second. I rewatched them both for the New York book, and I got to tell you, Crocodile Dundee two not does not hold up that well. All right. <laughs> we like the first one still. We did. I still like the first one. Yeah. There's some. There's there's a couple of scenes that have become uh, a little hashtag problematic, but overall still works. Number three, coming to America. Of course. Eddie had the number three movie. Yeah, he did. Beautiful. Number two, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Hey. Also a big deal to me in 1988. I loved that movie. Yeah. The fact that Bob Hoskins was like a big star. And number one, Rain Man, T. Cruz popping up twice on the top 10 yeah. list. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you get to make 17 Mission Impossibles. There you Let go. Let me ask you guys something. I have a theory, which is, didn't Die Hard come out around Christmas? No, it came out in the summer. It was a big, it was like, it was like a Memorial Day or no, it was right after Memorial Day. Memorial Day was Rambo three that summer. Uh, the the Rambo movie sort of had first dibs on Memorial Day, but no, Die Hard came out in like early June um, and it just slowly but steadily made money all year long. Okay, um, okay. But it was also one of those cases where kind of a John Wick thing where like the first the the second movie made as much in like its opening weekend as the first one did in its entire theatrical run. Because, again, it gathered a huge audience also on VHS, which which, again, folks, was a thing that used to happen. And in an ancillary market, the film would would make even more money after the theatrical release, which would often be months long. Um, oh god love going to the video store on fridays and just like picking up a couple blockbusters or whatever the film you know video store we have idiots in la do you guys remember oh i've i've heard of idiots and mike has has profiled some some folks from idiots i have interviewed patty and kathy from idiots it was a a joy like sid and nancy or whatever like the you know the french film from whatever and it was it was as cool as as they say there we go. All right, Danielle, are you ready to do a quick lightning round? Sure. Mike is going to put five minutes on the clock. I have gathered from the John Willis Film Annual Screen World for 1988 a long list of other movies that came out in 88. I'm going to shoot them at you rapid fire. If you have something to say about it, say it quickly. If you have nothing okay. to say about it because you haven't seen it or you have nothing to say about it, you can pass and let's see okay. how we do. All right, Mike, okay. five minutes on the clock. Here we go. David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Oh, was this about the twins? Yep. Who who was in it? Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons playing the twins. Yep. Saw it one time. Was totally creeped out by it, as I am with most Cronenberg movies. Yes. <laughs> Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ. I loved it. Oh, never saw it, but I know I've heard such incredible stories of Willem Dafoe and his loincloth. And that's all I'll say. <gasps> Also co-starring Willem Dafoe, Mississippi Burning was released in 1988. Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman, remember being like severely like impacted and traumatized by that movie, but feeling like it was like really important. It was. Uh, The aforementioned Bull Durham was released in 1988. One of my all-time favorite, um, you know, 
sports films, thought Kevin Costner was incredible. I heard a story of how Susan Sarandon got the role. She, Mike Medavoy did not want to give her the role and she knew that she was Annie. And so she flew back from Italy and walked around the Orion um, hallways in a tube dress, which was so Annie. And an hour later, she she had the role. Mike nice. Metavoy called on Shelton up and said, "You know what? Uh, I saw I saw I saw Susan Sarandon a couple weeks ago. I think she'd be pretty good in this. <laughs> really healthy, classic. Good for her. Good for yeah. her. Midnight Run was released in 1988. I considered putting this on my list, guys. I considered putting this on the list. So I, good. There is no greater comedian than Charles Grodin, in my opinion. He is like one of the unsung heroes of our time. And I felt like De Niro was at his best against Grodin. I yeah. love this buddy comedy. I love the concept of buddy comedies generally, but I thought uh, Martin Bregman's the director, right? Uh, Martin Brest, um, yes. Martin Brest, Martin Brest. Uh, just love this movie so much. And Joey Pants, I love yes. me a Joey Pants cameo <laughs> uh, supporting character. He always plays... Yeah. Is such good, like, you know, guys. Always crushes it. Always crushes it. John Waters' Hairspray was released in 88. Oh, totally love this. I mean, typical John Waters, just so bizarre and out of it. And you don't know how his movies get out into, you know, mainstream theaters, but you're like so thrilled that like this weirdo movie has passed the the test. Um, And God, there's just so many divine. There's just like so many weird character mm-hmm. actors in his movies that um you know this imprint love yeah. that movie uh gary marshall's beaches was released in 88 i mean one of the greatest tearjerkers of all time i mean like uh bet midler barbara hershey uh a story of friendship i mean like i remember in my high school like the wind beneath my wings was like the <laughs> battle for our like catholic high school and or and um you know, that song played whenever you wanted to like get get together and cry. That's what you would play. But Miam Miam Balik played a yep. young Bet Midler, I think. Is yep. that how you say her name? Yep. Um just just a real tearjerker. Great, great film. Great film. Two from Bet Midler came out that year. This was also the year of big business with her oh, and Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin, yes. Big business. they they play twins. Yep. They switched birth twins speaking of switched at birth and yep. and um there were, this feels like a theme of the 80s right guys <laughs> um definitely went to see this in um it's the quicksand of the 80s <laughs> yeah totally and like there was country mouse city mouse kind of situation yep, yep, and like they much. you know remember that that sort of um but i remember being entertained it probably didn't like imprint on me but definitely went and saw that uh, a bit of a deep cut. The other Julia Roberts movie of 1988, Justine Bateman in Satisfaction. Did you see Satisfaction? Oh, I think we, we, yeah, oh, 100% I saw Satisfaction. <laughs> I mean, Justine Bateman was really the, she was the star, but Julia Roberts, of course, stole the show as she did with anything she was yes. in. And so um, you were quickly, but it was a girl band on going on the road, yep. trying to make it. And and being sort of like subverted and and like doubted by you know the of higher course. ups, um, of but movie. I feel like there were a, a, other cool actors in this, but I can't remember. Liam Neeson, were. I believe, is also in, it, in one of his first American roles. With, yes, with it, Justine Bateman. That's right. That's yes, right. very good. Uh, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice was released in 1988. All-time 
great. All time great. One of Michael Keaton's like greatest roles of all time. Winona Ryder also had like such a turn. Catherine O'Hara. I mean, I can't say enough about that movie. That weird, weird movie that they're now making another one of. There we have it. All I right. I can dare them to. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Keaton is finished shooting it, so it's happening, wow. guys. Wow. Yeah. All right, Daniela. That Wait, was so like excellent. it's a sequel and not a remake? I'm sorry. I'm going to go read an article about this. No, <laughs> okay. it's Now remake. I'm back I, on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Ortega is going to be in it, you know, Wednesday, yeah. Adams. So that, there we go. Yeah. All right. Fantastic lightning round. Excellent uh, hit hit percentage. Very good. And now we're going to throw it to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. All right, Daniela, uh, where can people, are you on social media? Can people follow you? Should they just listen to your podcast? Yeah, look up Hollywood Gold, guys. It's like there's all these great stories about how these movies get made and all the gory details, which I love, as you can tell. And um, it's on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you can find a podcast. And then follow us on Instagram at Stay Gold Features. We would love it. The uh, the unwavering very good year seal of approval for the Hollywood Gold podcast. It is absolutely. really entertaining, really oh, informative. Absolutely. A lot so of fun. So fun. I did Desperately Seeking Susan today, which is actually like a feminist anthem. I mean, Susan oh Seidelman. She's a great, I got to interview her for my book. She's one of my favorite you interviews do. of all time. Oh She's so God. good. She, well, I, I interviewed the producer, of course, but yeah. she, wow. Like, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. I didn't even realize that movie went to Cannes. Like it oh, just yeah. it had a movie for me today. Wild. So anyway, wild. All right, I am Fun City Cinema on Instagram. Jason Bash Bailey on Letterbox, where you can find under my list the top fives for every episode of the show. Mike, where can the people follow you? I am at Brainwashed Lib on Twitter. And don't forget the show is now on Substack, a very good year.substack.com, where paid subscribers get bonus episodes, bonus writing, and much more. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 1988? Uh, I was like, as we've all talked about, we were late tween, teen, early teen age. Of course. And of course. I was hanging out with my friends Jay and Seth and Jamie, <clears throat> who I got like texts from two out of the, the, the Seth went and joined like a doomsday Christian cult. <laughs> um, so we don't really hear, hear from him anymore. But the other two guys, I literally got a text message from today. They were all comic book nerds and they found out about this movie and they tried to put this shit in the VCR. And I was like, I'm not watching a cartoon. What are you talking about? And they were like, shut up and watch it. And in the first five minutes there's all these dudes driving motorcycles and smoking and drinking and beating the shit out of each other and it was akira which is how they say it over and over in the movie but in america <laughs> we call it akira uh yes. it was okay the okay. first anime that i had ever seen and i think it was the first anime that like most people in america had ever seen <laughs> sure uh you know so i kind of it's not like an original story to be like this movie was amazing like i think yeah. basically everybody other than the people who made the simpsons has the same story of learning about sort of adult cartoons right yeah. via akira yeah. uh, so i i you know i've watched it a few times and i rewatched it for this episode just to you know just to make sure i'm not a beefing <laughs> on pure nostalgia no that movie is fucking amazing that movie okay. is amazing from top to bottom and 
it, it's sort of a Blade Runner meets 2001 yeah. thing happening. Yeah. And, yeah. and and I say that because like at some point it sort of breaks out of, of like science fiction and like how did the guy become the alien and becomes a movie about creating universes and like does that end of 2001 thing where like if it's not going to be political, it better be straight up fucking mystical. You know yes. what I mean? It better be like, we better be talking about the creation of the universe and, and on that level. It's a fucking great movie. It is, uh, yeah. And I love it as much now as I did then, and it turns out so do lots of other people. So there's lots of cool things to read about it now after you're done watching it. Jason, what is your favorite movie of 1988? Uh, I gotta go with The Thin Blue Line, which was, I, I talked it. about before. I knew it. You had to know it. It's the movie. It <laughs> yeah. was one of the first independent movies I ever saw. Uh, it was yep. the first documentary I was ever obsessed with. Uh, I wow. remember so clearly reading about it and hearing about it and how it like literally saved this man's life, which you cannot say about a lot of movies. And uh, wow. and then it aired not long after it had played in you know the 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 big cities. It aired on PBS, like on a, I want to say American Playhouse, like one of those sort of. Uh, okay. anthology things so I we we videotaped it which children is a thing we used to do and I re-watched that tape obsessively I was so nuts about the thin blue line and just the way that it looked and the way it felt and the way it sounded and just the sort of the hypnotic uh, approach that Errol Morris took uh, and now we know this was basically the movie that like created a subgenre, like the true crime documentary. It all goes back to the Thin Blue Line, but the Thin Blue Line is better than all of them. Okay, I gotta go <laughs> rewatch that. All right, thank you again, Daniela, for coming on the show. Thank you guys. You were so fun. This was like such a delight to do. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. It was a 